You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. So as you can see, to reach your financial goal this quarter, cash flow management must improve, uh, make sure the needs match IT spending, and reduce outside professional services. Thank you for your time. That was good. Very good. It was clear, concise, challenging. And conclusive. And conclusive. The four C's. Hey, you look a little nervous. Why are you so nervous? I'm not nervous. Uh, more ramped up. There you go. You got this. You're going to kill it. I'm going to kill it. Say it like you mean it. I'm going to kill it. You were made for this. I was made for this. Nah, I hear you say the words, but I'm not sure you really feel it. Look, the company needs your help. They reached out to you, right? They came to you. You didn't go to them. You know why that is? Let me tell you why that is. You were the top of your class with a degree in entrepreneurship. You landed two, not one, but two ridiculous internships and then already steadied the ship within three organizations. Yeah, maybe you're right. Of course I'm right. All right, maybe I am a little nervous. Hey, what are you doing? Who are you calling? Sandy. Sandy? For what? Don't call her right now. Why? She's my mentor. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. And Sandy's the one who helped me choose my degree. She's also the one that helped me get my foot in the door when I got my first internship. And she's the one who gave me a swift kick in the butt when I almost said no to that job in Chicago. So what? So what? Her thoughts and ideas are invaluable to me. She may be the only reason that I have this opportunity tomorrow. Were. Huh? Her thoughts and ideas were invaluable to you. You're right. She has a place in your life. She gave great counsel, hard to hear truth at times, and she is a brilliant woman. But you are a brilliant man. You're right. I got this. So as you can clearly see, if you adopt and put into action what I've presented to you, your company will not only survive, but thrive for years to come. Hook line and sinker, bro. You were made for this. I was made for this. All right. We put that together thinking about Samson. It's an incredibly talented person in this series we're doing on heroes. And Samson is marked in kind of all of history as one of the kind of most exciting biblical characters. And as a kid, I love this story. It was amazing, the images and the power that Samson had. But Samson made one very proud decision, which was he was going to do it himself. He was going to make it on his own. You see that moment where he's like, this this guy, he's ready to make this, this sales pitch, and he's thinking, I'm going to involve the people that have helped me get here. I'm not going to do this alone. I'm going to be in community as I make this journey. And he makes a decision not to. It is so similar to the life 
of Samson. And as I think about it, as, as uh, our team's been working on this series, Nate and Mary Elke did a phenomenal job taking a look at the life of Samson. Now, let me just ask, before I do this, ask, ask a hand question here. Do you know about Samson? You know the general story? Samson, raise your hand if you know the story. Samson's main squeeze was Delilah, right? So you know that. Delilah gets kind of a bad rap in this story. Samson had a thing for women that was a little bit out of control, uh, to say the least. But in this series of heroic moments, the last two weeks, when we looked at Deborah and we looked at Elijah, yes, they, they might have made some mistakes. Not really Deborah, but Elijah but today we're really looking at the guy that, that really made every mistake. Like probably all the biblical characters next week we're doing, Peter, Samson was truly uh, an underperformer for what God had called him to do. And so I want to do what Nate invited us to do today, which is to, to begin with the end and to kind of the end of Samson's life. And I remember as a kid, I was kind of, I'm still into adventure movies. I, lo I love zombie movies. Does that disqualify me as a human being? But listen to this, Judges 16, 21 to 25. This is the end, nearly the end of, of Samson's life. The Philistines, who were the arch enemies of Israel, seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. That was the, the headquarters of the Philistine nation. And binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So, remember that? If you know the story, the secret of Samson's strength was what? His hair, right? And his relationship with God. So the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. Which is, which is I think that's used in Ghostbusters, isn't it? Dagon? Okay, yeah, whatever. And they celebrate saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, "Our God." by the way, the Dagon God was uh, a God that was uh, uh, part of human sacrifice, was a big part of Philistine worship. This, was, uh, this is not a loving, grace-filled vision of who God is. And this is what they sang. Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. And while they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them, probably feats of, of strength. So I remember getting to this point in the story, and as a young kid, I read the Bible a lot. I remember going like, oh, man, this is the guy that had it all. This was our biblical version of Superman, and yet he throws it all away. It's like, it's like when you're given everything, and everything gets wasted. This is a story of Samson's life. We zoom in at the end and we see him stripped of his strength and his dignity and his sight. We don't see the Arnold Schwarzenegger-like character that we've associated him with. We see a pathetic end of a man who made a lot of mistakes. Now, where does that apply to us? Have you ever had an epic failure in your life? One of the things I love about Kristen coming up and talking is one of the first real conversations we ever had. She shared with me some of her epic failures. Like we're just sitting two people, uh, hour and a half before the service, right before the production meeting, and she's talking about the epic failures of her life. And I thought, did I want to list my epic failures today? Because I thought, I have like a three-page sheet, single-spaced, 
of epic failures. Like, let me just give you a couple of them that you know about me. Uh, I, I think of the night when we were on vacation in Holland, Michigan in the wintertime, uh, staying at a, a little condo there. Uh, Paula was, uh, was about, it was, she was pregnant with Jeff, our last kid. We didn't know it. And that was the night when she told me that she didn't want to be married to me, but she was staying with me because of her commitment to Jesus Christ. And I just finished a Sunday message. This was um, 1993, so this was 30 years ago. And I just finished a Sunday message where I bragged about how great our marriage was publicly in front of a group of people. I think of my teenage girls where all three of them at a different point in high school told, told me, they said, I can't wait to get out of your house. It's just what you dream of hearing as a father. And, I, and so I think about all these epic fails. I think of my junior year at Wheaton College. Whenever, whenever I say Wheaton College, you're supposed to say football powerhouse of the Midwest, okay? So let's practice that. Wheaton College. Thank you. Just remember that from now on, whenever we're together. So um, we literally were on our way to winning our first conference championship uh, in 20 years, and I fumbled on the one-yard line to lose the game. Man, you talk about epic. You talk about that has never left me. Even as I say that, I feel a sweat breaking out on my forehead. But I'm just, my point is we all have epic failures in our life. When we started off with such promise, where, we, where Nate writes, we stepped out to try to be a hero and ended up feeling like a miserable failure. This is kind of the, the, the really the journey of Samson's life. And it was so self-inflicted. And I think when I look back on most of my epic failures, almost all of them were self-inflicted wounds. And so let's go back to the beginning of Act 1 where it begins, Samson's life begins with a huge dream of grandeur. This is where, think about the promise. Think about Jackson's twins who are going to be like, didn't all of us for a moment just think how great their life is going to be? What are, what are those two identical did he say boys? Or did he say are they boys? They're just don't know, but they're whatever. Okay, they're going to be awesome. They're dreams of grandeur. We have that, and so listen to this. It says again. This is, goes back to the very beginning in the book of Judges. Israel keeps turning from God. God keeps sending judges, kind of people to kind of bring back a restoration of their nation. And this time, it says again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And when I say evil, I mean evil. They started sacrificing their children. They started rejecting the true God. They started, uh, um, I mean, you, you name it, they were doing it. And they were not only doing that, they were mistreating the people around them. They were mistreating the foreigners and the immigrants that were coming into their land. It said, so the Lord, because they were doing evil, delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, I just want to make a, one comment about this. One of the things that I've learned about God's grace and God's love is that if we are intent on doing wrong, God often in his grace will let us rush headlong into those things. He will let us do it in order for us to realize that in the end, it's not the answer. God will allow people in, with his grace and love to reject him and to, and to, and to curse him, and he, he will let them run. It's incredible. It's very much like when you reach a certain point with your kids where you realize that when your kids become adults and they, they make a certain decision, you know there's a, a moment where they're, they're going to make a move and you don't know where it's going to end. So God lets them go. And for 40 years, guys, that's a long time. 
40 years is a long time. They're under the bondage of the Philistines. The Philistines are ruling their country. They were basically took away all their weapons. They were treating the, treating the whole nation as indentured servants. And it says, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites. And by the way, we have very little about Dan in the Bible, even in the Old Testament. But in this case, there was a really special gift. And that he had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. And the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now, I love, I love that because... Paula and I, for five years, we were barren and childless. We were told we'd never have children. So you know how, how incredibly powerful this moment would be when a person, find, they find out they're going to have a child. And in this case, they're going to have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drinks. Anybody remember this part of the story? And that you do not eat anything unclean. In other words, you're pregnant with a very special child, and you need to take care of yourself. It's like when Paula was pregnant, she would always give up caffeine. And it's so funny because she's a person that lives for her morning coffee. And so all four pregnancies for nine months, you know, she's walking around like this. She's completely worthless till noon. And I thought, all that for the love of us to have some children. So don't do anything unclean. It says, and you'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. Oh, man, how I wish I was Samson. Dedicated to God from the womb, and he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And so the woman, in verse 24, gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. And he grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Ishtal. So the story just begins awesome, doesn't it? It's like God, it's just got tons of hope. The people have been oppressed. The oppressors, the Philistines, their worship of Dagon, an oppressive God who very likely was demanding human sacrifice, but now there's hope. God has sent a deliverer. And there's three things about him I want you to see. One, he's going to be in a special relationship with God. In religious, in a great sense, he's going to be set apart for a special assignment. He's going to be relational. His name, Samson, in the Hebrew, kind of had this thing of being bright and joyful, this bright, bubbly child. And he was going to be fun. And it turns out he did love fun a little bit too much. He was probably a seven on the Enneagram. And he liked to tell riddles at parties. He had a lot of girlfriends. He's the life of the party. And also he was ripped. So when you think of Samson, there are certain other people that come to your mind, don't they? Right? It's, uh, it would have been so fun to be ripped like this. But no one could beat him in a fight. There was a time when he was in, in battle. He killed 100 Philistine warriors with the jawbone of an ass. Remember that? A donkey, a donkey jaw, jaw. He carries off the city gates of Gaza because he's angry at the Philistines. He's, he's using his strength, but he's using it almost like for show rather than strategic. And so it's, it's interesting. I've never thought a lot about renditions of, you know, artistic renditions of Samson. I pulled a couple up that I liked. Why don't you take a look at them? I thought they were interesting to me. Um, this one was fascinating to me. This is actually Norman Rockwell's. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? This is after he's had his eyes gouged out. But I thought that's probably, to me, pretty realistic, maybe, of what he might have looked like. Uh, this would have been much more of a, like a medieval art kind of, you know, where he's, he's like, just whatever. 
And then uh, that's kind of a more cartoon, modern version, but we know that he was incredibly powerful, that there was actually no man on earth, no group of men that could stop him. And so everything is full of promise. And then act two, which is the slow descent into failure. And I love sharing this today because I know a lot of you, and I know that almost all of you have your story of a slow descent into failure, don't you? We all have it. Like we've all had those moments where it started promising and then we just, we let it slip away. We've let it slip away relationally and in business and in friendships. It's easy to do. And Samson, like every man and woman, had a dark side. He had weaknesses. He had hurts and habits and hangups. And, he, and, and what we saw in the video, and, he, and his, probably his worst was that he was living independently. He was living without accountability in relationships with other people. A lot of us as men meet together and encourage, and we realize most of our greatest failures were from living isolated from other people in terms of accountability and relationship. So we see the first hint of this when he, ag- he asked his father to get him a wife. Look at this. Samson went down to Timnah. Again, he's not living in the land of Israelites. He keeps moving. He's like hanging out in the Philistine land where his people are being oppressed by these people. He says he saw a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? His parents were really thinking about he was created for devotion to God, and yet he's going to marry a woman who is devoted in no way to the God of Israel, but to a God of uh, cruelty and domination. So it's very interesting. And Samson says to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. In other words, Right off the bat, we're learning about Samson. He's not listening to wise counsel. Anybody ever done ever anybody ever refused to listen to wise counsel? I mean, this is the mark of failure. This is the mark of the slow descent into failure. And so it keeps getting uh, this verse seems strange, but I want to remember within the Philistine world, the Israel world was was not this way, but in the Philistine world, it was very much women would have been property. They would have been chattel. Uh, they would not have full uh, rights of personhood. That's why when you see so, so much of ancient literature, women's names are rarely included. That's why when you get to the genealogy of Jesus and it talks about a number of the women that were involved in Jesus, it's such a shock because that's something you never did in a genealogy. You didn't mention women. And it's interesting that, in, that part of what I love about the, the message of Christ is that it's so uniquely empowering women from beginning to end. In his public ministry, even those who are first to bear witness of his resurrection is women, right? It's a total change in the, in the historical trajectory of the whole world. So, but he's ordering his parents around. He's, uh, he is living for himself. And this is interesting. After he marries this girl... He ends up in a, losing his relationship with the girl when her father doesn't think he's serious, and so he marries her off to another man. And so in a rage, Samson, you can read all this. This is in Judges uh, 14. It's like three or four chapters in there. It's very cool. Samson actually catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together, lights them on fire, 
and releases these 300 foxes through fields and creates a huge, a huge uh, fire that destroys so many of the crops, the Philistines. In other words, he's got tremendous talent, but he keeps using it for like minimal purposes. But he's premeditated, he's harboring rage and unforgiveness, and he's not fulfilling the promise that God set out for him. And so he just continues to spin out of control. He begins to uh, visit prostitutes. He finally falls in love with Delilah. And I, honestly, I'm not sure what to think about Delilah. As a kid, whenever I read about Delilah, I was like, ooh, you watch out for the Delilahs, right? Actually, it'd be like, you, you watch out for Samson because he was the one much more instigating so much of this. But Delilah is, is uh, she's offered a, like a thousand something pieces of silver if she'll find out the source of his strength. Because the Philistines are getting, they're tired of getting manhandled by him. They want to figure it out, but there's nothing they can do to stop him. He's so overwhelmingly powerful. So she goes through a series. If you remember, a series of where she keeps trying to, to, to get him to reveal a secret, and he won't, and he gets weary. And finally, we get to Judges 16. It's the second, I think it's the third time where she, she's done what he says to see if, if he lost his strength. And she says, get up, the Philistines are coming. And, um, and yet he was fine because he hadn't told her the real secret. But then in verse 25, she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God. Not a Nazarene like Jesus from Nazareth. This is a different term. A Nazarite was someone dedicated to God, not strong, staying away from strong drink, not cutting their hair, but really living ceremonially clean with God. He wasn't doing any of that. He said, no razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Man, I, can, I, just, I remember the first time I read this as a kid, first time I heard it in Sunday school class years ago, I'm like, this is devastating. Samson is supposed to be the champion of his people, to be dedicated to God. He's got a, a good set of parents who don't know what to do, and he's got a bright future that utterly fails. And he's so busy trying to find fulfillment everywhere else. Anybody ever done that? You ever look to find fulfillment elsewhere and you realize it doesn't fulfill in the end and in the end, your strength is gone. And so instead of being in a relationship with God and with people and being powerful and strong, we find him blind, broken, and in bondage. But actually, this is where the story really gets good to me. And it gets good to me because of this. Because there's not one person in this room who has not utterly failed in life. I don't think there's one person here that hasn't like, like you, you carry shame and you carry wounds. 
Remember one of my most precious friends came to me. We've been friends for almost 30 years. And he shared something with me that he'd been carrying on his heart and shoulders that had been just wearing him out. And he'd just been holding it close in the shame in his own heart. Man, I'm telling you, we do that. And we get to this place where instead of having it all together and being filled with promise and hope, we find ourselves blind, broken, and in bondage. And if Samson's story ends there, it would be almost impossible to, to read it without feeling so sad along the way. But we come to the last act of Samson's life. You ready for this? You remember this, don't you? Get ready. Get ready. Pump the muscles up. So remember, they bring him and said, bring Samson to entertain us. And it says, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand. So listen, the mightiest man in the world is now being led out by someone that he has to hold their hand to lead them out. It's powerful, isn't it? Guess what? Just to be, continue to be a, the bearer of great news, that's how everybody's life ends up. Everybody ends up having to hold somebody's hand. If you live long enough, you end up having to lean on people. Man, when I, when I take the guys to Israel every year with Justin, every guy knows, man, just, just wait for it because sometime on this trip, Andrew's going to put the gangster lean on you, man. He's going to be hanging on to your shoulder for the whole way. It's like, okay, here <laughs> they see me coming. They're like, okay, you could lose some weight. You know, it's like, but man, I'm telling you, I hang on people because I've reached that point in my life. So Samson says to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. And the temple was crowded with men and women. Again, these are all the people that are destroying the nation of Israel, killing them, holding them in bondage for, for year after year after year. And all the rulers were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching, watching Samson perform. And Samson prayed to the Lord. And here it is. His whole life, he finally gets to one place of true brokenness. And he says, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. See, even there, it's imperfect. I want to say, often when we turn back to God, it's imperfect. Even here, you see his motives are mixed, right? He's still thinking about himself when he should have been thinking about the people of Israel that he was called to release. But he's still in a place where he's like, Lord, I've blown my life. All of the promise of my life has been left. But I'm asking you one more time, meet me where I am. Remember me. It says, Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, embracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. He said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. It's fascinating it's still incredibly sad to me, but he fulfilled the purpose that God set out for him, which is what? To redeem his people. 
to set his people free. He had a huge part in doing that. But it was not the way. In other words, God, even in his brokenness, used him along the way. And I thought, when I look back on the epic failures of my life, I can remember uh, when one of our daughters was away. She was away in another part of the world. And I was at a, at a, we were at a point in our life, I'm so glad I'm past this, man, with my kids. But I was, I was at a point where I was waking up at 3 in the morning almost every night, and I'd go downstairs and sit in our little living room and just cry out to God. And, and really, the prayer was like, Lord, I got no answers. I'm just here. I was like, I feel like I'm blind, broken, and in bondage. I feel like I don't have any answers. I don't know how to, to, to help my child. I, I don't know. I feel, I feel like I've blown it in so many regards. And there's something so sweet about this prayer where he says, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please strengthen me just once more. I think that's a great prayer. I would encourage you to, to think about that prayer because the thing is the Lord is going to remember you. Jesus Christ has come to be in our lives to say, I will never leave you and never forsake you. You're not alone in this journey. And I thought, Lord, remember me. And then as Nate was working on this, he reminded me of something I've forgotten. Where else have you heard this phrase? Who else prayed this prayer? Jesus in the garden, right? Father, you know, don't forget me. This is Jesus praying. And then the thief crucified on the cross next to Jesus. He says what? He's broken. He's nailed to the cross and he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me. It's like every honest prayer begins with this thing. This is Jesus in the garden crying, Lord, man, I don't, Lord, are you there? I don't want this to happen, but I'm willing to, but I'm just like, I'm willing to trust you. The thief on the cross, I'm willing to trust you. It's like Stephen being martyred. He's like, he sees heaven open. He sees, Lord, the last thing I see is I'm trusting you. The last thing is, Lord, I'm trusting you. Remember me. It's a simple prayer. It's desperate. And it's humble. People have often said to me, oh, that person, is, that's a really humble person. You know, part of me doesn't really believe that about people. People have actually accused me of being humble, which is ridiculous. That's supposed to be funny. Thank you. There's two people that laughed. <laughs> I am not a humble person. I've always struggled with that. I, I think I'm, I'm pretty pleased with myself a lot of the time, even when I'm failing. But I'll tell you what I have been. I have been humbled a lot, and so have you. Because life just has a way of doing that. I thought I was going to be the greatest parent in the world. And I had years where I, man, I sure didn't feel that. I thought I was going to be a great husband. I had a wife that didn't think that. You know, I've had people I thought I was going to be a great friend. I'm just saying epic failures are part of our life. And there's this beautiful moment where we say, Lord, remember me. And as we're finishing this, let me finish with Act 3. This is where grace and shame collide. It says, uh, really, the book of Judges has a summary verse, which is really interesting because their rebellion, Israel rebels against God over and over again. But in the end, in Judges 21, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I thought, man, we are 
that could be a description of Amer- American history from the very beginning. It's like, yeah, we talked about so often trusting God, but so often we just, uh, uh, to, par- to par- paraphrase this, everyone did whatever they felt like doing. This is a, the condition of the human being. The fact that we, let, uh, we lose our moral compass and our life ends badly, it becomes unsustainable. But here's what the book of Judges teaches us. Without God's intervention and with our rebellion, then we're lost. And the story of Samson tells us one thing, that even when we're lost, that even our deliverers are lost too. Gideon, all of these, all of these judges, man, they have their failures. They have their fears. In fact, this is for Kristen Noble in the back. It, we all connected with the old Phil, Phil Collins song, and I thought it's so true about today. It's prophetic, even about this moment. There's too many men, too many people making too many problems, and there's not much love to go around. Can't you see this is the land of confusion? Oh, Superman, where are you now when everything's gone wrong somehow? Men of steel, these men of power, I'm losing control by the hour. This is a huge part of the human condition that every great songwriter connects to. Go back and just listen to the, to the anthology of great, great writers, poems, musicians. Um, they paint this picture of living in a confusing place where there's not enough love and not enough heroes. So where's the hope? Here's the hope. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, I want to compare Jesus and Samson now as we wrap up this message. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might actually possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the book of Judges is a preemptive vision of what Christ is going to do, where the people are going to run from God, they're going to be thrown into bondage, and then a a deliverer is going to come. And that deliverer, though, is flawed. But eventually, a deliverer is going to come who's not flawed. He says he knows our pain, he knows our weakness, he walks in our footsteps, but he's not flawed. And he's he's going to die in our place. You see, Samson was called to be a hero, deliverer, but instead he was just a doofus. And his story reminds us that we're doofuses too, that we're helpless. And often we don't achieve often what we thought was probably our our potential, where we tried to be the hero and we failed. Some of you are trying it right now. You're striving, working, pressing to be the man. You got this, right? Just like the video. And we feel the pressure. And we realize that God is inviting us to something more. And so I want to finish with these thoughts as the band is coming out. Think about Samson and Jesus. Jesus does not sacrifice himself by killing oppressors with a donkey bone. But he kills the power of sin by offering himself as a sacrifice. It's an incredible contrast. Like we want to we want to see the vengeance of God. That's what the people of Israel wanted when Jesus came. They wanted vengeance upon the Roman Empire. It's like Jesus says, no, the vengeance is going to fall on me. Jesus does not carry the gates of the city on his shoulders to pay back the Philistine people who have irritated him, but instead he carries what? What does he carry? A cross that destroys the gates of hell. 
Jesus does not go out by dying with ungodly people and getting vengeance, right? Like, give me vengeance. He's not thinking of himself at all. He says, but but, but," he doesn't go out by dying with ungodly people, but but by dying for the ungodly. And finally, he does not finish his life in a last desperate attempt at vindication. See, even Samson in the end, he's still... He, he wants to, he's kind of wanting to do something for God, but he still, what he really wants is his own vindication. Jesus like, it doesn't matter. I'm not here for my vindication. I'm here to vindicate the world. I'm here to set the world free. I'm here to, to redeem people, to give people new hope and new life. And so when Jesus says it is finished, it's not a prayer of desperation like Samson utters. It's a prayer of great victory because he knows God is going to re- remember him. And so this is my final thought. What a savior we have. What a hero. People say, let's go look at all the great heroes in the Bible. Well, they're all really flawed. Except for Jesus. What a savior, what a hero, what a deliverer. And I want you to know this. If you are in a moment right now of epic fail, which is entirely possible, I want you to know that Jesus Christ died for you that you're precious to him, that your identity can be found in the fact, not that you're the great hero, but you instead are the beloved rescued by the one true hero that we've all longed for and hoped for. And maybe you're not in a place of epic fail, but you've felt that pain and that hurt along the way. Jesus Christ is saying to you, continue to trust me to move you, to do heroic things, not in your power, but because my grace and my love is big enough to carry you to what I've called you to do. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you as we get ready just to sing about how wonderful you are, about the great hero that you are to us. I just want to recognize the many times in my life when I've been blind and not only broken, but brokenhearted. Times when I've been in bondage to, to destructive behaviors. And then all of these things, it said you were coming, that you were going to be compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love, that you weren't going to treat us as our sins deserve or repay us because of our failures, but your love is so great, it's higher than the heavens or above the earth as far as the east is from the west. And as Psalm 103 says, Lord, thank you that you have compassion on your children, that the Lord You show compassion on those who fear you. And so we just want to say to you today, thank you for coming and being our hero and our rescuer. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.